Loving Father, we ask for your help as we come to the scriptures again this morning. Please teach us by your spirit. Grow us to be more like your son, Jesus. All to your glory and praise, we ask. Amen. Please be seated. Now you should have a sermon outline in your news sheet, which uh, is worth following. And uh, we'll, we'll spend uh, a bit of time in Luke 17, if that helps as well. In 1984, a man named Lewis Smeeds published a book titled Forgive and Forget, Healing the Hurts We Don't Deserve. And this book became a benchmark for how the world understands forgiveness. Smeeds essentially defined forgiveness as seeking to, uh, ceasing to feel resentment or anger over an offence or a perceived offence. The way he viewed it, forgiveness is a strategy for defeating bitterness and hate. And I wonder what you think of that. Is forgiveness the means of being healed of your hate? Is forgiveness something in internal and private that primarily goes on within an individual's heart and mind? Is forgiveness merely therapeutic, like it's an emotion to be released? And if that's what forgiveness is, well, how does that, well, how does that marry with Scripture and what we've heard in our first two talks? This is talk number three in a series called Unpacking Forgiveness. Last week we sought to understand forgiveness by looking how, at how God forgives us. Because forgiveness doesn't start with the individual, it starts with God. And I hope we saw that in Exodus 34 verse 7. Did you see one of the chief acts by which God expresses his greatness and glory? Did you see it? At Sinai, the Lord came down in the cloud and he stood there with Moses, proclaimed his name, the Lord. He passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Do you see from that wonderful, powerful image that part of God's glory is his capacity to forgive? And we see that most evidently in his son. Centre stage in our unpacking of forgiveness, centre stage is not the individual, it's not me, it's not you, it's God himself. And so forgiveness always begins with this principle that God expects Christians to forgive in the same way he forgives them. And so last week we developed this definition of God's forgiveness. It's there in the bulletin just to make life easier for you. We saw that God's forgiveness is a commitment by the one true God to pardon graciously those who repent and believe in Jesus, so that they are reconciled to him, although not all consequences are eliminated. 
And that's how the vertical relationship works. This is how God forgives us. And if you missed last week, then have a listen online. I encourage you to do that so that this week makes more sense. But as we understand the vertical relationship between God and us, well, what about the horizontal, we ask? What about the interpersonal stuff between uh, one another? How about how humans to forgive humans? Well, if we're to forgive the way God first forgave us, then our definition, it's there in your news sheet, on the outline rather, it says that forgiveness is a commitment by the offended to pardon graciously the repentant from moral liability and to be reconciled to that person, although not all consequences are necessarily eliminated. It sounds the same. It's a little different. Keeps the central elements of how God forgives, I think. And today we're going we're to unpack that even more. Last week we began by recognising the sinfulness of sin. And Luke helps us do that in chapter 17, verses 1 to 3. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones, one of these new disciples, to stumble. So watch yourselves. And having recognised our great need, that launched us to God's grace. His gracious invitation. So it followed, here's the first thing, that Christians should forgive graciously. Biblical forgiveness is is a generously offered gift motivated by love. In biblical forgiveness, the forgiving person pays the price of forgiveness. And so chapter four, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Or Colossians 3, 13, Bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against the other, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. God, the Lord's done the bigger thing. And so this gracious offer of forgiveness is unconditional. The offer is. And so Christians then, we should always have a disposition of grace towards those who have offended them. Now this is what Jesus modelled on the cross, didn't he? As he died, uh, that terrible death, and he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know what not what they do. That's in Luke 23, 34. Even as Jesus was dying an excruciating death, and before there's any hope of repentance on the part who who crucified him, there is Jesus extending grace. And so we see in that picture that God has a keen readiness, a keen willingness, He always has a disposition of wanting to forgive. And we are to be like that. We are to follow his example of willingness. See also that not only is forgiveness gracious, 
It is a commitment. Forgiveness is a promise to pardon the other person. And that's what, again, that's what God does. And we might ask, well, what does that look like in practical terms? And there might, I think there might be four things to this. As we make a commitment in our willingness to forgive, I think it means not dwelling on the incident. It will not bring up... Uh, it's a situation where we, we don't keep bringing up the incident again and again and use it against the other person. That's not forgiveness. It's a promise not to talk to others about this incident. And it's to say, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship going forward. So there's four things, possibly. I think by making and keeping those kinds of promises... The walls that stand between you and your offender get torn down. As you promise not to dwell or brood over the problem or to punish uh, by holding the person at a distance. You clear the way for the relationship to, be, to develop unhindered by memories of past wrongs. And isn't this exactly what God does for us? And isn't this what God calls us to do for others? Here's the next thing. Christian forgiveness is also a commitment to the repentant. We talked about this a bit last week. So remember, to be sure, God offers grace to all people. But we also know that forgiveness really only applies to those who've received that forgiveness, who want that forgiveness, who repent and believe. So having a disposition is one thing, and it is a good thing. But affecting the transaction is another. It's a bit like a gift card. You've all had a gift card for Christmas or a birthday, haven't you? Yeah, they, they did their run a few years ago. They're still going around. 40 bucks at Bunnings, $50 at Big W. You've all been there. And that's the offer. It's an invitation. But it's, I tell you, it's completely worthless to you unless you accept it and use it. How many gift cards end up in the bedside drawer? Or the glove box, or they're still hiding in your wallet. Don't go looking for it. In 2018, can you believe this? In 2018, it was estimated Australians have lost $148 million worth of unused gift cards. That's a big black hole in the, in the pocket, isn't it? And as you think about that picture, our long, patient, gracious God... Well, he offers us forgiveness by the truckload. And for too many, well, it's just put aside for another time when I, I think I might really need it. Or it's outright rejected. Too few see the value of God's forgiveness. Too many are indifferent to all that Jesus has purchased for us. Like the unappreciated gift card. But the difference is, this is the Son of God who lived and died a horrible death, such as God's love for us yet rose again. So whilst the gift is offered generously and graciously to the undeserved, to the offender, they need to see the need for forgiveness. And they need to see the need for Jesus to repent and turn to him. So hear this then. God is gracious 
And he offers graciously this forgiveness. It's on the table. But it's not automatic. Forgiveness is not automatic. Because it's something that needs to be accepted and applied and welcomed and received. And that is seen through a life of repentance and faith. Now this uh, observation is reflected in interpersonal forgiveness as well. We see that in Luke 17. See verse 3. Jesus says to his disciples, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Okay, now... Hear this carefully. This is not a story about someone who is being a pest. Right? And us the doormat. Uh, We are not to keep count and like have a limit of seven. That's not the point either. I don't think. Our willingness to forgive should be like God's and God's willingness is without limits. Remember, seven times 70 it says elsewhere. But also, as you see the limitless willingness to forgive, see also the necessity of repentance. Notice that repentance is also without limit, if you like. And this is Jesus telling us that as we relate to others, the generous, limitless necessity of both is there. There needs to be a humble disposition of being willing to forgive endlessly. And there's a humble disposition for taking responsibility for any offence, and that's we can call that repentance. And do you see that you cannot have forgiveness or and repentance without each other? You cannot have one without the other. There's a Japanese proverb that says forgiveness without repentance is like drawing in the water. But equally, as we think about those two things, just a caution that we must not do the childish thing of using a demand for forgiveness or a demand for repentance as weapons. We must not do that. That's not the intention. See that forgiveness is like a two-way transaction. Two sides of the same coin, if you like. On the one side is the willingness to forgive And on the other side is repentance, the recognition that I've done wrong and I need forgiveness. And again, both require humility and both need to be unending without limit. Which means that in any interpersonal conflict, for forgiveness to happen, you're going to need a measure of both. You're going to need a measure of both. But here, the encouragement is the Christians must always forgive the truly repentant. Now we think of it this way, as we start to think about reconciliation now. Christians are called to offer a present to those who have hurt them. That package should be wrapped and tied in a ribbon with a tag that says, this is for you, regardless of what you've done. Forgiveness is what is found inside if the offender chooses to open the package. And this is the groundwork 
for reconciliation. When God forgives, he not only pardons sinners from guilt, but he also begins a new relationship with them. The Bible uh, never speaks of forgiveness apart from reconciliation. And the assumption today in some sectors it seems to be that you can forgive someone but not be reconciled to them, and that's okay. And I want to say as a community of faith, we need to be careful. Because that would be like leaving the gift at a doorstep, ringing the bell and driving away, never to return. But we must remember our foundational principle, that we are to forgive others as God forgave us. That's scripture. And God never forgives anyone without also being reconciled to them. And so this speaks to uh, the shortcomings of therapeutic forgiveness, where it's just about me and my emotions. You see how the importance of reconciliation might be undermined as we use it as an excuse. No, I don't have to do the harder work of reconciliation. I've forgiven them in my heart, and we move on. Do you see how it might tempt us to think that we don't need to pursue that? The forgiveness in the Bible is always about two people at odds coming together and finding peace together and being restored to fellowship as reconciled people. It's always about what is good for not just me and the other person, but for the community. And that is all to the glory of God. This is all to the glory of God because this is what it's about, God's glory. Finally, forgiveness does not mean the elimination of all consequences. We talked about that last week. When Christians forgive, they promise that the matter will no longer stand between them and the repentant party. This, however, does not mean there are no consequences. And so it bears thinking about it. So let me ask you a few questions. If, if as your senior pastor, I disqualified myself from ministry, you'd forgive me, wouldn't you? And this is where you nod and say, yes, Adam, we would forgive you. Good. Say, okay, say I robbed a bank, but I was later repentant. Again, you would forgive me, wouldn't you? Yes. Yes, you should. But you also agree that if I did rob a bank, I would need to forfeit my job as a senior minister. And that's where you go, yeah, that's true. And consequences are important for the sake of justice. A willingness to accept consequences for sinful behaviour is actually good evidence that the offender is truly, truly repentant. And so here is a normative pattern of forgiveness. It might be true this morning that your mind has now run off to tricky, extreme examples that are complex and take some serious working through. It's not my goal to undermine that. I want you to pause, though, and hear the normative pattern for how we're just to get along from day to day. This is day-to-day -day living. Forgiveness is meant to be as normal as a servant farming the land. We see that in verse 7. It's meant to be as normal as working the stock. 
It's such a stolen a die. Forgiveness is meant to be as normal as a servant preparing their master's supper. It's not meant to be so extraordinary under God. It's simply our duty, verse 10. A normative part of life. And that might be a shock to you as well. But here it is. Christians are to forgive others as God forgave them graciously, willingly and freely. They should offer a costly present to any who offend them. And those who do repent and unwrap the offered package will find forgiveness and reconciliation inside and God is glorified. Now you might also be thinking this morning, nah, that sounds way too hard. And I want to say to you, the disciples agreed. When Jesus spoke of this, their response, verse 5, is, huh, increase our faith, Lord. In other words, I'm not sure I can do that. I'm not sure I can strong enough. I'm not sure I have the tools for that, to forgive without limit. I need more of whatever you can give me, Jesus. Increase our faith. And then Jesus basically responds by saying, you know, with me, you have all you need. Verse 6, it's not the size. Your faith might as be as small as a mustard seed. You might think your faith is near insignificant. But that's to forget the object of your faith. And the object of our faith is none other than Jesus. Your faith might be small, but that does not mean great things, amazing things, mind-boggling things cannot be accomplished. That's verse 6. And so as we hoist our sail, that is Jesus, into the breeze, we take on his yoke, we learn from him, we listen to him, we read his word, we become devoted to prayer, we devoted to one another, forgiving as he first forgave us. We have the tools. We have the tools uh, for the storms that come along. And most especially, God is glorified. I want to show you now a real life story. Uh, here's the back story. Uh, this was big news in the United States. A female police officer received a report about an intruder in an apartment. She entered an apartment. She discovered a man and the policewoman shot him dead. Bang. Just to make matters worse, uh, she was a female white police officer and the man she shot was a black man. Uh, it turned out the officer had the wrong apartment. And the man she shot was simply at home watching TV on his couch. She was charged with murder and racial tensions rose. And now we might rightly ask, well, what does forgiveness look like in that scenario? Does it look gracious? Commitment? Is there repentance? Are there consequences? Is it humble? The dead man's family were asked to give an account in court and this is what the dead man's brother said. If you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. Anyone could say it again. I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. 
Marka saying, I hope you rot and die, just like my brother did, but I see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. <laughs>